Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Criminal Discourse Podcast. I'm Trish, and usually Maddie jumps in here to say hi, but unfortunately, she hurt her back and isn't able to be here today, so I'm recording solo again on this one. We're wishing Maddie a speedy recovery so she can be back with us next episode. So thank you all that have tuned in and continue to listen to our episodes. We really appreciate it. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or even our own website through Buzzsprout. And check out our Facebook page. It's Criminal Discourse Podcast. Okay, so without delay, we're going to just jump into this next episode. So before I start, I do have to disclose that, and anyone that knows me knows this, I hate clowns. I really do. I detest them. They unnerve me. I don't know if it's a repressed childhood trauma, but I put them in one or two categories. They're either killers or child molesters. And so I just don't like them at all. I don't really watch a lot of movies with clowns in it. Forget it. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I think I watched it once with my roommates in college and I had nightmares for a while. So I really don't like clowns. But but I saw an episode of 48 Hours that did involve a clown. So I thought, oh, that would make a good episode. But I'm like, I really hate clowns. But then again, it kind of reinforces my theory that they're killers. So yeah, we'll go with it. So I'm talking about the 48 Hours episode. I believe it aired January 12th of 2019. And it's called The Clown Did It. And it involves the murder of Marlene Warren. So our story takes place in Wellington, Florida. This is a village just west of Palm Beach known for its equestrian and polo events. It's one of the most populous villages in Florida, I found out. So home to celebrities such as Vanilla Ice, the late Zsa Zsa Gabor, Bill Gates, and Madonna. So in 1972, Michael Warren married Michelle Aherns. Michelle had just gotten out of her first marriage and she had two young sons, John and Joe. So Michael became an instant father, and by all accounts, they had a fairly good marriage. They were had both have some business accumulations, so they were able to build multiple businesses together. Michael owned a used car lot called Bargain Motors. Marlene owned several retail properties and rental businesses. So these businesses, multi-businesses, allowed them to live an upper-class lifestyle. And in fact, they owned a home in the affluent Aero Club development. So this is a neighborhood where people had private landing strips with a taxiway to each home. So in the photos that I saw of their home, they had a beautiful sprawling ranch, and off to the side is a pad where you could put your twin-engine plane or your Cessna, and then off the back, you would taxi on to a taxiway that would lead to a, a runway. So people were able to keep their planes literally right beside their house. So they lived there, they had a plane, and they also owned some uh, racehorses is my understanding. So they lived a very nice lifestyle, very comfortable lifestyle. But tragedy struck. In 1988, Marlene's oldest son, John, who was 22 at the time, died in a traffic accident. And this devastated Marlene, as as would any mother losing a child in such a tragic way. And unfortunately, this was the beginning of the end of their marriage. This is where it started to crumble, with Michael spending much more time away from home, not really being around Marlene. And I don't know if that was them dealing with their grief in different ways, but it really did start to show the cracks in their marriage. So in 1990, there was an employee of Michael's called Sheila Keene. She was 27, a single mom who had just gotten out of a violent marriage, and she worked for Michael as a repo woman. She's described as being very gutsy, being very ballsy. I mean, this was a young, attractive 27-year-old woman going out on her own, repossessing cars, which can be very dangerous. 
Sheila had moved into an apartment, actually, that was owned by the Warrens. And rumor had it that Sheila and Michael were having an affair as neighbors spotted them together quite frequently. And in the 48 Hours episode, they referenced that neighbors, they thought Michael was her husband because he was coming in and out of her apartment so much. The apartment complex that she lived in had a front gate where if visitors came, they had to contact the owner to see if they were allowed in. In Michael's case, Sheila had given written notification to the front gate that Michael had free reign to come and go as he pleased, that they did not need to buzzer each time he came. So on May 26, 1990, which was a Memorial Day weekend, Marlene was home that morning with her son, Joe, who had moved home. He was 21 years old, and he had broken his foot or leg. He was in a cast and on crutches, hobbling around. But him and his friends were there, and they were in the kitchen. It was about 1045, maybe closer to 1050, and Marlene was cooking breakfast for them when the doorbell rang. So Marlene went to answer the door and she had one of those front doors that had glass panels in it so you could see who was on the other side of the door and she could see it was a person dressed up in full clown costume with the wig, the makeup, the red nose, everything and they were holding two balloons and a basket of flowers. And her son Joe remembers her opening the door and hearing her say, oh how pretty and then two shots. At first he thought it was a balloon that went off But when he rushed to his mother's side, he could see it wasn't a balloon, that his mom had been shot twice in the face. The clown just simply turned around and walked calmly back to a white Chrysler LeBaron. So Joe immediately popped up and hobbled after the clown and was yelling and screaming at the clown, but couldn't catch up to the clown because he was in a cast. But the clown did turn around at one point. Now, Joe couldn't tell, was this clown a male? Was it a female? The only thing he could make out were the eyes, and the eyes were brown. The clown simply got into the white LeBaron, pulled out of the driveway calmly, and went along their way. No hurry, no squealing tires, nothing like that. Marlene is rushed to the Palm Springs Hospital, where she's soon placed on life support. One of the bullets that had entered her face lodged itself in her spinal column. So the police immediately started looking for this white LeBaron. So usually when the police put out a bolo, which is be on the lookout, they'll describe what they're looking for. So of course they're looking for a white Chrysler LeBaron, but they usually try to describe the person driving. And in this case, since they didn't know if it was a male or female or have actual hair color, they just had to put out they were looking for a clown. Unfortunately, the car seemed to have just disappeared and they had no luck in tracking the car down. Now, within three hours of Marlene's shooting, an anonymous call came into the sheriff's office and it was a female caller. And this caller said, you need to look at Michael Warren and you need to look at Sheila Keene. And that's all they said. So, of course, the police are going to look at Michael Warren because he is the husband. But Michael really had an airtight alibi. He was with friends hundreds of miles away. They had left in the morning to go to a racetrack. And so he was with them at the time of the shooting. So the police started with what they knew, right? They knew it was a clown. They knew they had have gotten that costume somewhere. So they started contacting all of the costume shops in the area. And they had talked to some saleswomen at the Capizio Spotlight Costume Shop in West Palm Beach. These workers told the detective that a woman had bought a clown costume, clown makeup, orange wig, and a red nose, the same as the clown that showed up at Marlene's door was wearing just two nights before the murder. Now, there was a picture lineup that they were given. They did tentatively identify Sheila Keene as the person that they saw come into the store when they were initially telling detectives before they saw the lineup was a young woman with long, straight, thick, chocolate brown hair and brown eyes. 
So on May 28, 1990, Marlene Warren died from her wounds. She was taken off life support and slipped away. So the police were able to get the bullet that had been lodged in her spine, and it was consistent with a 38 caliber gun. So on May 30, 1990, police discovered the abandoned LeBaron used that morning in the murders. And this was found at a Winn-Dixie parking lot in Royal Palm Beach. And this was about eight miles from the crime scene. So police, again, are looking into Michael Warren. They're not really getting anywhere because of the alibi, but they do start looking into Sheila Keen. And in fact, they talked to Sheila's estranged husband, who told police that at one time they had owned a 38 caliber gun. But a month prior to the murder, Sheila had told him that she misplaced it. I'm not really sure how you misplace weapons, but okay. So when the police got the LeBaron, of course, they take it to the crime lab and they're looking inside the car and they find some orange synthetic fibers that looks like it would have come from a wig, but they also found some brown hair in the car. They also found the receipt to the store in which the clown costume was bought. So police started to trace the car. They wanted to know where this came from. Did this come from Michael Warren's lot? And they traced it back to a car rental company, which was a competitor of Michael Warren's car dealership. So apparently, and on this 48 Hours episode, they do show this, one of the rental car companies down there was called Payless. And Michael's ad for his used car lot would have the word pay less at the top, but not part of the name. So this kind of confused customers. And it confused at least one customer who had rented a Chrysler LeBaron. So when they contacted what they thought was the Payless rental car company, they actually contacted Michael's Bargain Motors, where you pay less. And the person told them that answered the phone, just leave the keys in the visor parked along the street and we'll take care of it. Well, the car was stolen. So they realized that the car was stolen and may have had a connection to Michael's dealership. So in the meantime, the police got a search warrant for Sheila's apartment. And in searching Sheila's apartment, they did not find the costume. They did not find the gun. But they did find orange fibers consistent with the ones found in the LeBaron and brown human hair, which would have come from her, of course. So they had a pathologist look at the hairs found in the LeBaron compared to the ones found in her apartment. And a pathologist said that they were similar. Didn't say they were alike or a complete 100% match, but did say they were similar. So they've gotten the car back. They realize where the costume was purchased. So now they start looking into the flowers. So they track down some clerks at a local public supermarket. We don't have them up north, but I think they're pretty common down south. And they were able to pick out Sheila in a lineup of having purchased the flowers and balloons at 9.20 the morning of the shooting. And this store was less than a mile from Sheila's apartment. Now, the police also learned that Sheila had one time gone to an auto parts store that she that she had gone to quite often, and they found out that she was a regular customer and that times she would show up dressed as a clown. Again, not sure of the purpose, but they have a picture of her showing up at this auto parts dealership dressed as a clown. So police had interviewed Michael and Sheila separately. And both denied having an affair. They said, nope, we're just good friends. We've never had an affair. There's no involvement there. And the police asked Sheila for her alibi at the time of the murder. Now, Michael, of course, had a strong one. He was hundreds of miles away. Sheila said she was out doing her job, repossessing cars at the time. So they asked her, well, which cars were you repossessing? And she claims not to have remembered. Unfortunately, even though you had this circumstantial evidence, the police did not feel it was enough to arrest Sheila Keene for Marlene Warren's murder. So the police continued to investigate. And in 1992, they got a warrant for Bargain Motors. 
and they unfortunately didn't find any evidence to link anyone at Bargain Motors with Marlene's murder. But they found plenty of other evidence, and in fact, they arrested Michael Warren on charges for racketeering, odometer tampering, and grand theft. He was also accused of repossessing cars that he had once stolen or he claimed were stolen off of his dealership lot and then collecting the insurance money on. So Michael was put on trial for all these various offenses. And on March 31st, 1994, Michael was sentenced to prison. He got up to nine years. He would actually end up serving a little less than four. And in December 31st of 1997, Michael was released from prison. Now, in the meantime, while Michael was in prison, Sheila had packed up and taken her son and moved away. So she was no longer working for Bargain Motors. I don't even know if it was still in business. But news soon got back to friends in the area that in April 29, 1999, Michael Warren and Sheila Keene got married in Las Vegas and soon moved to Tennessee. Unfortunately, Marlene's case, even with all this circumstantial evidence, went cold. So in 2013-2014, about, you know, 20 plus years after Marlene's murder, the Palm Beach Sheriff's Department received a grant for unsolved murder cases. So they set up a task force that included officers from the Sheriff's Department, the state's attorney's office, and the FBI. One of the first cases they looked at was Marlene Warren's. So they sent off the samples they had of Sheila Keene's hair and also vials of blood that they had gotten through the search warrant back in 1990. And so this was enough based upon those results to get the case looked at by the grand jury. So in September 26, 2017, the police arrested Sheila Keene Warren in Washington County, Virginia. Now, by this time, she was going by Debbie Warren. Her and Michael had settled in a lake house in Virginia. They had owned a business, I believe, across the border in Tennessee called the Purple Cow, but had since sold the business and retired. And they lived in this beautiful house on this lake. I think the lake was Heron Point on South Halstead's Lake or Halston Lake, I believe. And this house was on 1.89 acres. So clearly they were doing okay financially. So Sheila, and I'm just going to call her Sheila Keen Warren, waived extradition and was booked into the West Palm Beach Jail without bond, and she waived her right to a speedy trial. Now, when Sheila was arrested, she asked, is my husband under arrest? And the answer was no. So the DNA testing that was submitted to the FBI crime lab indicated that the hairs found in the LeBaron were consistent with Sheila Keen Warren. After Sheila's arrest, John Moran Jr. came forward and told police a story. Now, John Moran Jr. had worked at Bargain Motors with his father, who was John Moran Sr., and he did not feel comfortable for whatever reason until Sheila was arrested to share this information. So John Moran Sr., like I said, had worked for Michael Warren, and he worked really in the chop shop part of things with his business. His responsibility was mostly dumping stolen cars or turning back odometers. So Sr. told Jr. a story on his deathbed in 1996, so about six years after the murder. He said that there was a second getaway car that had been driven the morning of Marlene's murder. And he knows this because he was driving it. And he said that information alone would get Junior anything he ever wanted from Michael Warren. So Moran Jr. also told police that Michael Warren had contacted him shortly after Sheila's arrest looking for his dad. But then he informed him, well, I'm sorry, my father passed away in 96. So then he said Michael started to bribe him, offering to buy him a new house if he would testify on their behalf. 
So police got a search warrant for Junior's phone records in March of 2018. That confirmed, or at least partially confirmed, Junior's story in terms of someone contacting him, believing that person to be Michael Warren, because the person had used a burner phone to contact Junior. But this person also used the burner phone to contact Sheila's attorney at the time, Richard Lubin. So Junior was also able to give them the cell phone number to Michael Warren. So John Jr. took the police to the canal where he claimed he had helped his dad dump the car. So what usually would happen is his dad would give him a phone call that gave him a code word like, you need to go swimming. So that he knew was, okay, I need to dump a car. And he would tell them to go to gate one. So this was a specific spot along the canal off Highway 80 in Palm Beach County where they would dump the cars. So at the time, Junior thought this was just one of their nightly runs that they had done before. But when he arrived at gate one or where he was supposed to meet the person to dump this car, he was surprised because his father was there. And his dad never, ever actually showed up to do the dumping. He would just give the instructions and then somebody else would carry it out. So he knew something was a little off because his dad was never there. And his dad would not allow him to touch the car. He would not allow him to look into the car. And he didn't want him leaving prints anywhere. And when they finally dumped it into the canal, his father had had a handgun in the waistband of his pants. He took it out and threw it into the canal. So the police sent down dive teams and they were able to come up with a 1982 Audi 4000. Now in this car were some tube socks, blue and red pieces of cloth, and the sole of a shoe, but no murder weapon and no clown costume. Detectives ran the plate and the car comes back as being reported stolen in 1987, which was three years before Marlene's murder. Now, John, in a news interview that I saw, claimed that, nope, they didn't get it right. They need to keep looking. I'm not sure how many cars are down in this canal, but apparently there's more than one. So, again, they questioned why John sat on this information. His dad died in 1996, and it's now, like, 2018, and he claims that, again, he didn't want his grandchildren or his children or his father's grandchildren to realize kind of what their grandfather got involved in and disparage his memory, and also was a little afraid, I think, of Michael and Sheila, and he waited until her arrest. Now, both John Sr. and John Jr. had spoken to the police back in 1990 and again in 2014, but they didn't share the information about the second getaway car. What Moran Sr. did share with police at the time of the murder was that on several occasions, Michael would get in arguments with Marlene, either over the phone or in person before he came into work, and he would make statements such as he wanted her dead. He couldn't wait to get rid of his wife. He wished he never married her. So at this time, Sheila Kane Warren is sitting in jail, and she is charged with the first-degree murder for the death of Marlene Warrens. And I believe the state of Florida is seeking the death penalty in this case. Now, I read a a news article that said that Sheila had filed for indigent status, so I don't know if her attorney is still Richard Lubin. It may be a public defender claiming that she doesn't have the funds necessary to mount a defense, which I'm not sure how since they live in that beautiful lake home, but she has. And a status check on this case was scheduled for June 24th of 2019 with jury selection to begin January 31st of 2020. So at this time, Michael Warren has not been arrested. I think police are still collecting evidence in that case. And of course, there's no statute of limitations on murder can file those at any time. But for now, Sheila Keen Warren is looking at a death penalty case. 
So that's it, everyone. If you want more information on this case, you can always look up the 48 Hours episode. Like I said, the West Palm Beach news station down there carries a lot of articles on this. They've got a lot of investigative reporting. So check out their newscasts on this. That's where I got some of my information from. As always, thank you for listening. You can, of course, check us out on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Give us a listen. Subscribe. We'd love it. We'd love to hear from you. So usually at this time, we do talk about some life tips. I'd say at this point, stay away from clowns. Bottom line, just kind of reaffirms my uh, belief that they're all evil and next level crazy. All right. Till next time, everybody. Remember, if you see something, say something. Perhaps don't wait as long as um, John Jr. did in terms of sharing what he knew. But if you see something, say something. You might have that piece of information that makes the puzzle fit. And as always, stay safe and let's be kind to one another. Till next time, guys. Bye. Bye.